Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. All right, so let's talk some author stuff. And we have an interesting topic that we've not uh, discussed with anyone before. So before we get into that, let me ask you, you've been writing most of your life. What are some things you've learned that you're doing different now than when you first got started or when not necessarily when you're doing the journalism, but when you were writing books and stuff, because that's two different writings. So what have you learned? What are you doing different from when you first started? Yeah, I'm going to have to say that the stuff I've learned a lot, we talked about Dave's group, but there's also another group that meets on the West side that Mudcat, who you had on as well as part of where we critique each other's work. And he's a great writer, by the way, he'd be another one of my favorites. But just learning how to, I tend to throw out too much stuff and they're teaching me. And just as I go, I'm learning to put all this stuff in the first draft and then tighten it up and cut it out and make, put in what's most important in there. I am learning also how bad an editor, personal editor I am. I have a guy who's helped me a great deal on that. And then I've also recently purchased some software that I hope will help with that as well. What's the software? It's just typos. I can write five sentences and have five typos in there and not see them myself. Well, that's pretty good, though. I know some authors where there's more than five. So, <laughs> what's the software you're using? I write in Scrivener. Okay. Uh, but I picked up one called, boy, what is it called? Poor Quality Writer? Give me a second. I can actually, it should be, it's on my other computer. Pro Writer Aid, I think it is. Pro Writing Aid? Yeah. yeah. It's it's like an AI software. Yeah. And I don't take everything it's, it suggests, but it helps me with the commas and the punctuation. The uh, thing I seem to do a lot is double words. Okay. Uh, probably when I'm writing and then rewriting and deleting and stuff, and I just don't see the double word. It's so far in the short time I've been using it, it's been helping me a lot on that. So I, I, I also use that and I've been using it to learn and hopefully getting better. It doesn't seem like it. I still go, man. How many, mis not mistakes, but how many things do I need to look at whether they need changed or not every time? But it's not always the same things that I used to do. So it is a good learning tool if you use it as such. You can't just blanket accept everything. So. Yeah, my, my old editor back at one of the papers used to put a list of all the words I commonly misspelled in front of my typewriter. Nice. I learned all those and then she'd replace them and I'd have new ones. Yeah, and I, I talked to teachers and parents and kids in school, they do a little bit of writing, but they really focus on the grammar, the structure, the spelling. And, and I'm sorry, that's not for writing necessarily your biggest focus. You lose mm -hmm. the story, you lose the flow, the feel, the voice, and all of those things can be corrected with a couple button presses now. So that I understand it's school and that kids need to learn that. I think the kids should learn grammar and all that, but mm -hmm it doesn't mean you can't write and write a good story. They're separate things. Okay, so your book, what are you doing to market it? I know it's on Amazon. So far, 
I'm trying to learn this because this is, I work for a marketing company. I work with a bunch of marketers. You'd think I'd know how to do this better, but I am not personally a great marketer. I'm not personally very good on social media per se. So I'm learning and I'm just, that's another part of publishing this book is to just take the time and figure out what's going to work. So primarily I'm doing the Amazon ads. I'm hoping this reaches at least a couple people. And I've been exploring some other options, some of the newsletters that Mudcat was suggesting that are recommendations to people where you can plug your own book in there as well. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And I'd like to do some in-person stuff too, now that we're allowed to. Yes. I'd like to get into more of that in the area too. Maybe we'll run into each other at the same event. That'd be cool. <laughs> or hold the same event together. There, yeah. I thought of that too. If you can't <laughs> find one, then just create one. That's, you know, the next thing. I know enough authors in the area between Dave's group and other people I've talked to. We could probably coordinate and do our own thing, uh, something. Just even if just for the little bit of press or whatever. Okay, so our discussion today, an interesting topic is using real people and mentioning real people, which also could be corporations and products and stuff in your book. So let's start off. What have you done in your books and why did you choose this as a good topic to discuss? It's a good topic to discuss because I don't know whether I've really messed up or not. Okay. Um, and there's really only one that I go back and forth. It's a public figure. I wrote a book, I wrote a story literally with the newly elected president. This was written before the election in 2016 of the newly elected Hillary Clinton having a poker game with the devil. The devil has kind of said, you owe me now. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to play poker. And uh, it's not an anti-Hillary Clinton story. I just use her because she's a fascinating figure in my mind. She's a very strong person. I Like any politician, and I've known a lot of politicians because I was a reporter for so long, they have to make deals with the devil in a not quite so literal format. And I, did, I guess I speculated a little bit about whether she really liked the life that she's chosen or not, or maybe she would have chosen something different. And it's called Heart's Desire. And in it, the devil is able to give her heart's desire. And as in all devil stories, when the devil gives you something, no matter even if it's something you want desperately, it's not always what you expect it to be. I don't want to offend her, but I can't think of any way to write that story without her being the main character. It the sounds, former president also shows up in a not particularly flattering light. But it, it sounds a little bit of political editorial, which is covered is. under fair use and protection, along it with is. like Weird Al parodies and the, the comedy right. and stuff. There are uses, not just, you're not saying she did make a deal with the devil. You're not right. saying she is the devil. But that's where the libel slander stuff starts coming in. And I have some some background in media law just because of what I did. So I figured legally I'm probably okay. Yeah, but she could probably afford much more expensive lawyers for a lot longer. So it may not matter whether you actually win. <laughs> this is true. It may not be a good situation. Um, but I don't... Enough. And like I say, I don't consider it a an anti-Hillary story. I'm really not anti or pro anybody. I didn't vote for either of them in that particular election. The strongest reaction I've gotten is from a Hillary supporter. Really? So, uh, somebody who was like, I don't like this. I don't think this was right. You portrayed her the way she's portrayed in the media type of thing, which I guess I, 
did because that's where I got all my information. Right. So as a, a journalist, you go and you talk to people, you interview them, and you put their words directly out in print. But usually, don't you have to get like a permission on that, that they say, yes, I give you permission to reprint this and that, or use my name and things? Is that? I think it depends on the story, whether they're newsworthy or not. I used to do a personality profile. That was one of the fun things that I used to do. This is primarily New Mexico, but other places as well. And people were perfectly willing to sit down and agree and tell you their whole life story, good and bad. And I never felt like there was any, they might tell you, I really don't want you to publish this particular thing. And I'd be discreet if I, as long as I could be. And if it's a new story, I have pretty much full ability to say whatever they say, as long as there's nothing being given to me specifically off the record. It's more journalistic ethics than legal protection. If it's a public figure in the middle of a public event. So, so for journalism, if you're doing a piece, maybe you're at a thing, someone's talking, whether another journalist is interviewing them and you're just there or whatever, if they, how would this work? If they say something that could be libelous against somebody else or a slanderous, I know one's in print, one's spoken. I always get them confused. But if they say something about another political party and it could be slanderous, and then you print that, what they said, is there any repercussions on you for that? Or could there be? I don't think so. You yeah. always quote who said it. And specifically, I didn't say this, this is what this right. person said. Okay. I could, think that's part of the story. If they're lying about somebody else, that's a real story. But they, what if they came back on you and said, that's not what I said or something, that you changed what they said? It goes to the editor and the, we'll lead our cases and explain why. And they may or may not print a retraction. I don't think I ever had a retraction for that. Okay. Anything like that. So um, I don't know that, that ever came up. Just curious, just in my head, think of a situation. But in fiction, that's totally made up by you. So you've got all the responsibility. And mm -hmm. being fiction, it's, it is made up, but you still can't. You got to watch what you say about people. Same as in movies. If you're talking about Ford, but you're talking about the Mustang and then what a piece of crap it is, blah, blah, blah. You could get in trouble for using the actual products and names without permission. Have you done anything like that? Or have you like said, you know what? I should get permission to use this, my book or anything. Not for that kind of thing. There are, a couple okay. of, there are two music permission things. There's one song that I quoted that I specifically asked for permission to use that. Okay. And was given permission. And another one that I figured uh, David Bowie would never let me do that. So I changed it to a different song. So the one you got ago. permission for, how did you go about doing that? I emailed them. They're still active. It was a, it's a group called October Project. And they created a song called Bury My Lovely, which is just a gorgeous song. I've actually met the singer of the song, Mary Fowl, a few times. But I actually asked permission of the people who wrote the song because I'm actually quoting lyric. And I do understand that that can be an issue when you're publishing fiction. You just can't, you know, over a certain point, you just can't use people's stuff. I use four, four, four lines in that song. But basically emailed them and got the answer back. I figure that's enough. So do you know if it was, let's say, the Grateful Dead or something like that, how you would go about getting permissions for that? Because I, I don't think 
emailing them direct to get an answer. <laughs> Interestingly enough, the, the last story in my book actually involves emailing the dead. Okay. Um, <laughs> wow. And I guess that you could take that either literally or figuratively in this particular <laughs> case. I would assume you'd have to go to the whoever owns the rights, and I, I don't know. You'd have to research that. Okay. All right. Um, I probably wouldn't use that. This particular song inspired this story. Um, I thought I kept thinking this is such a beautiful song. I love the music. It creates this whole atmosphere. I wonder what the story behind this atmosphere is. It scared me how dark that went when I started writing it. Really? It's a good story. And I think today's world, it may be even easier sometimes to get a hold of people. They have websites with contacts. And yeah, Mike, if it's a bigger name that might go to a con uh, a PR firm or contact uh, assistant or something. I get that. But a lot of bands, uh, especially ones that are on the comeback, used to be big in the 70s, 80s, disappeared. And now they're like on some, but it's smaller. They're not the limelight. Sometimes it is easier to get a hold of them. With yeah. That. So, this was a band that was around for a couple of years. And they really hit the big time. And then they, something happened. I don't know what. They broke up, and I, I figured they they don't they wouldn't mind having a little more publicity about their stuff because I'm sure. And to me, I would say I would love to include these lyrics, but also then on my website put a link to Spotify for people to listen to it. So it's, I'm giving you a little bonus there. Yeah, the bargaining. I, I did. Anybody who helps me, I figure I'm going to put a link in there for them. Nice. Okay. Good. That there's the advice for authors. It doesn't hurt. Do whatever to help help others out. Okay. Now, there's another story in the book. Okay. I, I mentioned in the first segment this. It's the tomb of Gustave Guillemet. He was an Orientalist painter in France. There's not a lot really written about him. At least if you search the internet, there may be some obscure book or something. It's the most beautiful tomb I've ever seen. And it was done by a friend of his. And both my daughter and I were both really entranced with that. And I wrote the story kind of building a story around his life based on the few little facts I could find about him. So I've created this whole person and this whole adventure that never existed. And I'm afraid I'm doing to him what the movie Amadeus did to Sully, which is take a person who is a real person, who is a real creative, wonderful person, and, and create this strange myth about him. And I think probably a lot of people think that Amadeus is based in fact, and I don't believe, as far as I know, it is at all. I mean, my story is not, but there aren't a lot of facts to so how So how do you handle that? Because you said it was 16th century or somewhere in there? Oh, yeah. He was 19th century. Okay. Okay. So it's been a I, while. Well, I do I, for several of these stories were the ones where I think it could be confusing and it's probably not enough, but I add an author's note. And at the end of the heart's desire, I add an author's note saying this is political parody. It's not really meant to represent the real Hillary Clinton. And this one, I mentioned, okay, here's, I've taken bits and pieces of this man's life. It is not a true biography of this person. I don't know enough about him to do that. I've seen his work. His work is all over the internet. You can look it up and work of the guy who created the tomb is there as well. Okay. Um, it, that I, I think that covers it. I've never checked with a lawyer, but it, being that old, it might be different if it was like the Kennedys here in America, 
where the family is still around and uh, and some of the direct relations are but i think it also is how and this is stupid but it's how big are they if it's a tmz level you probably got more to worry about but mm-hmm. uh, a french painter i also know more about them i know what yeah. literally this is from the life the end of the life in the wikipedia page okay you could find a whole lot more about him he, he was shot um he went back to his wife after having an affair and died in in the bosom of his family if you will but there's not a lot more about that nobody knows exactly why what happened in that like you said there's unauthorized biographies which mm-hmm. are not approved that come out I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't have a problem doing that. This is, but this isn't even a biography. I make no pretenses. The story. This is anything other than a story that I made up. That I think is a, a pretty good story. Of course, I'm, who am I to judge? When and, I, and it, it, I did do a lot of research about the. It, he used to go to Algeria, and I did a fair bit of research about the uh, French occupation of Algeria, the very brutal, vicious occupation. And a lot of that plays into this story as well. And that's, that is based on fact, even though the actual incidents are completely out of whole cloth. Yeah. When I, Harry Turtledove writes alternative history and uses real people in it. And then I talked to Armin Shimmerman and he wrote about Shakespeare when he was young, but used some fantasy Shakespeare characters in the story, but based on real events. So I, I, I would say any author wanting to do that, if you're concerned, find a lawyer that knows and talk with a lawyer that knows for sure. If you're mm-hmm. concerned, I, I'm, I would just guess there's not going to be anybody bothering to, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. you wrote about my second. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm not worried legally about it. I, I, there's a part of me that just thinks, well, I just want to make sure everybody knows this is just a story. A fiction. Yeah. And let, let me talk real briefly about the other two stories. The two stories yeah. that make up my, my time travel historical stories. Boy, years ago, I watched this movie called Queen Jane. And it starred this really beautiful young actress. It turns out to be Helena Bonham Carter. But I, I didn't know her then. And Carrie Elwes from The Princess Bride. Both fantastic. Uh, her. And I was just kind of entranced by her. And then 30, 40 years later, now as I'm writing this story, I'm writing a story about somebody, a time traveler, who's entranced with Lady Jane Grey. He's a little obsessed with her. And so the first story is him going back, meeting her through multiple times in the life. And then the second story is when he tries to take her back to his time, and things go terribly awry, as they often do. But that's writing about a real historical character. I did do as much research as I could. There's not a lot of stuff that's really sure about her. They don't even know what year she was born in. There's one painting, which is a copy of a painting they think might have been a painting of her. So I took a lot of leeway in this. I literally joined the tutor just to be able to ask questions and find some more resources. So there's a society that, that loves the tutors in England. Nice. And I think what we were also mentioning is the amount of research, trying to mm-hmm. find as much as possible, because that's part of it too, is that if somebody gets offended and says, you wrote that so was like this, and you can't prove it either way, and you said this is fiction. So I think any lawyer would probably say there's really not a case here. Not libelous. It's just 
fiction piece about someone 200 years old or whatever. So. Yeah, this is the one was in the 15, 1500s, so. Yeah. <laughs> a little pulled back. And <laughs> they've changed dynasties in England, so I'm not really worried about the queen. And what was the last one? Uh, I thought you what, said you had two. I'm sorry. There's two stories in that series. The one where oh, he meets okay. her, and then the, the second story is the novellas where they try to come back. And that's a really interesting story because I try to interweave what I think of as her worldview of the time with a modern worldview because I got to get them together so they can do other stories later on. Got um, it. it. It's a really it's a cool universe, I think, in that I can take it pretty much anywhere I want to. So why did you choose to find real people to write some fiction stories about rather than just make something up for, with a totally fictional character? Because Lady Jane's story was so interesting. She was literally a queen for nine days in England. She was called the Nine Days Queen. She was executed a year or so later after, like, 17th birthday. Wow. It's just a, it's a really fun, interesting story. She's supposedly quite a character of her, in her own. I, just, I don't think I could make that up. I, a time travel story has to be about real times. I, I can't imagine a time travel story going back to, okay, so, yeah, the, the future they come back to is completely different. But that's okay. Yeah, actually, me and my but son... Based on, I had to figure out how to make that future happen based on him taking her away and bringing her to the future and keeping her from being executed. Okay. So it's just it, interesting. Comes to the alternate history. Got it. Yeah, me and my son were talking about time travel the other day, and I said, oh, I'd like to write a fan fiction piece where Sam from Quantum Leap jumps into Marty from Back to the Future. <laughs> that just sounded corny to me. Like, how would that, that be? be funny. Yeah. All right. Bill, I appreciate you talking today. Before we get going, do you have any last minute advice for any new authors out there? Same thing that gets passed around in Dave's grip all the time. Finish the damn thing. There, here you go. Um, Finish it. You, you got to expect uh, one thing I've read, and it, it, I think it's true. Your first draft is always crap. At least it's, it needs a lot of work. So just get it down, get it done, and then you can go back. The editing is as much fun as the writing sometimes because you see things and you change things, and you can then tighten it all up and make it really work the way you want to. So write it down first and then get back to working on it. And Work it until you, you got what you need. And honestly, I've found for myself, editing is the best part. It's where I get most writing done. The first part is actually harder for me, just getting that first draft written and not editing myself, not changing things. I want to get it out and have the story because then it's much easier for me to fine tune it to a, a better story. I'm not an outliner person. I usually know the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story. And then I just have to find my way through the various scenes that I've imagined. So a lot of times it's that first writing is just to find a way to get from point A to point B to point C to, to the point Z. And then you can tighten it up and make sure it all works because the first stuff you write may not fit the last stuff you write. You have to change that. Certainly happening in the book I'm writing now. <laughs> yeah, I find that a lot myself. <laughs> All right, well, Bill, I appreciate you taking some time today and talking okay. to us. Appreciate uh, your, your bringing me on. This has been fun. Great. All right, you have a wonderful day. Enjoy the weather. It's nice today. Yeah, definitely.
If you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please check out the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. There are a lot of other authors, a lot of other books for you to discover and read and enjoy. And it would be great to help them out, help the podcast out, to help these writers be discovered, to give a like, give a review, share this with some friends. And if you go to the website, there are some links in the sidebar. If you are interested in any of those services, please click on the link. It'll give you a great service that I personally use, and it will also help support the podcast to keep it going. And then come back each week to find more new Discovered Wordsmiths. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.